0: Could you imagine working alongside robots in an effort to reduce the risks of demining? Or better, working in a completely different environment, like say, Cambodia? Well, we sit down with our guest Douglas Blair to get an update from the Demine Robotics team all the way from Cambodia. We will be delving into the innovative and extremely collaborative business approach that Demine Robotics is using in their operations in Cambodia. And later, we discuss the impacts of using D-Mine robots as opposed to the human labor historically seen in the field. Demine Robotics is a Canadian-Cambodian company focused on providing tools to improve the safety, efficiency, and affordability of humanitarian landmine and explosive clearance. Founded at the University of Waterloo as the Landmine Boys, D-Mine Robotics is now field testing robotics for non-destructive excavation of explosives in Cambodia. Douglas Blair, the CFO of D-Mine Robotics, has joined the team after completing his Masters of Business, Entrepreneurship and Technology program at the University of Waterloo, with the CEO and co-founder of D-Mine Robotics, Richard Yim. Doug returned to the Waterloo Region after 10 years of working in the executive offices of Scotiabank in Toronto. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of The Diffuser. My name is Tafsi Gola, and I will be co-hosting today's podcast episode with Paul Esau. Our guest, Douglas Blair, is joining us to give an update on the work that D-Mine Robotics has taken part in in Cambodia. Now, if you recognize the name D-Mine Robotics, it's probably because this is the second time a member of the team has joined us on our podcast. Last June, we interviewed co-founder Richard Yim on the innovative work that he's been doing in Cambodia. Today, we'll be discussing the successes, the evolutionary challenges, and the future prospects of the unprecedented work that Mine robotics has been involved in over the past year this podcast is a product of the canadian landmine foundation in cooperation with the laurier center for military strategic and disarmament studies our music is produced by paul mcleod Hi, Doug, and welcome to The Diffuser. Um, Now, I'm not very familiar with your story, so before we dive into any updates um, on the project, why don't you talk about how you got involved with D.Y. Robotics?
1: Yeah, so I met Richard Yim uh, two and a half years ago when I started the Masters of Business, Entrepreneurship, and Technology program at the University of Waterloo. Richard had finished his undergrad in mechanical engineering, and he'd been working on a landmine diffuser as his fourth-year design project. And he actually took that landmine diffuser to Cambodia, which is where he's from. And he started learning about the landmine issue there from a more technical perspective from what he knew as a child. And from that project, he started creating a landmine excavator that actually takes landmines out of the ground. And so that's where he started telling me about landmines, about Cambodia. And I was really interested. I was thinking, like, how is it that people are still doing this job by hand? It just seems like crazy to me must be a better way and so what richard was working on it was a robotic excavator that took the hand shovels out of the d miners hands and uh put them in using uh, a controller to actually take the landmines out of the ground i was working on my own project during that time i was uh working on a fintech company actually i used to work at Scotiabank bank for 10 years and so i had uh, big aspirations for that but i had two kids during that time and uh i started looking at the world in a different way i wanted to leave a legacy that was uh going to be something that my kids could look up to and, and be motivated by. So I started helping Richard out in a small way. I started helping him fundraise, uh, and then I realized he needed more help, so I started working more. I was in the shop with him actually last year building the, the robot. I'm not an engineer, but I was uh, getting my hands dirty with that. And I went to Cambodia last year with Richard where we took our previous prototype to, uh, to a test field there. Uh, the robot didn't work as well as we had hoped, but what I did see is when we went to meet with the NGOs and some of the government uh, people there, is that there was a lot of promise in what we were doing, and they saw this as a really good solution, a new tool for them to use.
2: So I'll say hi to you as well, Doug. Hi, Paul. Um, I know we've actually met before, so I feel kind of bad acting as if you're a stranger to <laughs> me. We've met with the CPA at Carnegie Mellon uh, University College together for a number of Tuesdays in a row for the last couple of years. and I've been really impressed to hear some of your presentations about Demind Robotics and just the trajectory of the project. Also, I mean, this is a cool moment for me because the first ever Diffuser podcast that I created was an interview with Richard Yim, who's one of the co-founders of Mind Robotics. At the time, when I I talked to him last June, I believe, uh, you guys were testing an earlier reiteration of of this robot. And what's been impressive to me is actually how much this project and this robot has evolved over the last uh, couple of years of the project, how it's gone from being, I think, two different uh, prototypes to being one prototype that was mobile based upon, I believe, a tractor engine and a larger excavator on the front to now being a much more significant machine. So can you give me an update on just like, in the last year, where the project has evolved from when I last talked to Richard to uh, the actual robot today?
1: Yeah, so a lot of things have changed in the last year uh, since we were in Cambodia. We realized that the machine itself needed a big upgrade, and doing it here and shipping it there was not going to be a, a way forward for us. So we had a, quite a few personnel changes. And when uh, Richard was in Cambodia, he met through teaching at a university there, some very eager some very talented cambodian engineers and they took a look at our machine were like they can do it better and they can do it faster so they went to work they started working in a very basic shop uh outside of phnom penh and started building uh our new excavator which is probably four or five times larger than the last one in terms of weight and uh maybe twice as long and wide as well and uh with that new team we also had a, a waterloo engineer a new grad who had been working his a fourth year design program on a uh a unit that could connect with our with our robot and he went down to cambodia as well and he brings uh like a systems design background so that uh, was helping our, our project as well to get a, a new face in there as well to to uh, start building this more robust machine so we took this machine and uh, they built it within a three or four month period and we actually got into live testing with the Cambodian peacekeeping forces in October November of last year and from there we've uh, we've been testing it on one day two day tests and from that we have now been able to get uh, a local NGO actually the Norwegian people's aid it's uh, an NGO that works in Cambodia but they're uh, funded by the Norwegian government and they, they approached us and saw the benefit of this solution. And uh, we're going to be starting field testing with them in late April, early May.
2: Wow. Okay. It's, Things have definitely moved along from my last talk to you guys. So that explains, first of all, why your team has grown significantly. I think almost doubled in size from, when I, uh, from your Kickstarter project now to when I was looking at it about a year and a half ago. And uh, also, actually, some of the big changes as well in the actual device, the actual robot Uh, So in terms of specific operational difficulties that uh, had to be overcome, we talked about these Cambodian engineers making it better and more efficient. What can you tell us about how, like what problems had to be addressed, how they were addressed and why the machine has had to grow significantly bigger in order to meet its uh, kind of uh, purpose?
1: Yeah, so when we were in the test fields in Cambodia last last year, we realized in the test facility they had brought soil from different parts of the country to actually test what the conditions would really be like. And what we found is that the soil is much harder than what we were testing on in Canada. It was laterite soil that was significantly harder to drill into and then also lift up. And so our, our machine, at its physical size before, just didn't have the weight capacity, even with our efficient drilling mechanism, to both penetrate and lift. So that's why the machine needed a significant upgrade. And with our team there, we were able to do it at a relatively low cost actually lower than what our previous prototype costs. So that was, was quite significant.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And being able to operate actually in-house as well and uh, just draw upon local talent to help innovate. These are the experts, obviously, on the ground. So I've heard as well mentioned that, uh, I think believe from Richard, that the difficulty of trying to protect the main components of the machine from a potential lamite explosion uh, within the excavator module is also an important kind of innovation or problem for uh, the team to overcome. So how have you guys tried to address that problem
1: yeah, so that's a definite issue that we're working on right now to build in shielding in front of our drilling mechanism, which sits out front of the machine and then protecting the mechanics of the machine, the, the brains of the machine as well, because we have a control station on there as well. So I'm not specifically involved in that part, but we are looking at different materials, different types of uh, formations to protect the machine from, from a blast. So that's part of the testing is that we'll have to do to get our machine accredited by the Cambodian authorities is do a, a blast test where we'll be detonating uh, a live explosive somewhere near the machine or below the machine to test to see how it, well it handles it.
2: Yeah, that'll be a difficult problem, but I have a lot of faith, obviously, in Richard and the team. I mean, it's going to be kind of cool to see what you guys come up with. So... I know that you were in Cambodia, I believe, for part of last year as well. I seen this. Uh, you mentioned that you were there during some of these operational testings happening, I believe, last fall. In in May. Oh, in May. Yeah. Okay, so earlier on in the year. Yeah. Actually, being there, seeing the problem. I mean, Richard obviously grew up in Cambodia. so He's a very different experience than uh, say you would have. But uh, it's like, what what changed about your perception of this project once you were in Cambodia on the ground?
1: Yeah. Being on the ground makes a huge difference. I was there, we had two Canadian engineers as well that came down and I think for them, especially realizing the operational challenges of being in the field are completely different in Cambodia than they are here. Just ensuring that you have proper source of power we need to recharge things. It's not, a, it's not a slam dunk that you'll have an outlet available uh, close by. So you really have to plan ahead Uh also the heat and the humidity, it was sweltering hot, 40 degrees every day. A thunderstorm would come and you'd have no time to prepare. So you'd have to have cover available. And those are things that we hadn't foreseen, I guess, in, in Canada. We were thinking that we'd have possibly a little more time to protect our machine, but it has to be, everything has to be ready. And you have to be willing to work through some, some tough conditions working on robotics in the heat it's they don't go well together sometimes so it was definitely physically challenging but also very mentally challenging because sometimes things don't go as well as you hoped and uh, you're working as a team and you're trying to get this thing in on the ground working as quickly as possible and it, it it's definitely a challenge so from an operational standpoint we learned a lot we also yeah we learned that There's also a great need for this. We saw how the machine is going to benefit the deminers. It's going to make this job much safer, much more efficient, and we think it will will cost less in the long run when you put a machine doing what is the most physically intensive task of demining.
0: I get the impression that D-Mine Robotics is spending a lot more time in Cambodia over the past year or so, more so than it did in the earlier stages of the project. And I'm just wondering if you've seen a huge difference or a significant change in the project because you're designing in the country, you're working alongside the government as well.
1: Yeah, it's definitely helped um, get us closer to our our NGOs that we want to work with, with the government, with the military. Being there is such a difference in terms of the visibility of our project. And also they see this really, since we we have Cambodians on our team who are working on this, they see this as an indigenous project as well. They see this as something that can be sustainable because not only do you just send the machines out, they have to be worked on. Uh, any kind of machinery does, so it has to have maintenance as well. So we have Cambodians who have the skills, who have been trained to to be engineers, to be maintenance people. Uh, they're involved in the project so it's definitely it's it's changed and for the better and we will still do engineering in Canada but we will we will need if we expand this beyond Cambodia we'll need local people with the skills that can make these machines work for the long term
0: so since your time in Cambodia then have you faced any new challenges regarding the different kind of working conditions i heard no you said the different weather conditions are difficult, especially working in the heat, but are there any other sort of uh, challenges you faced? The working culture, there's a language barrier and a cultural barrier as well.
1: Yeah, so we definitely, um, we were working at a very basic shop in Phnom Penh for the last year, and during monsoon season, it had flooding in the shop. Um, also, we use, uh, our, our young Cambodians are sometimes have other projects on the side as well, so keeping them focused. We, uh, there's definitely a cultural aspect in terms of how you, you work. You work at different times. It's not nine to five. You do like intensive work at one time. And uh, we, we try to stay focused on the job, but sometimes you need parts and it slows down. But uh, we're now moving into our own office space, which is definitely going to help our team uh, become more together. We'll have everyone in one space Pretty much all the time. Uh, we even have living quarters there as well. So we have actually two uh, University of Waterloo co-op students who are who are going to be coming to Cambodia for the summer and working on the team as well. And they'll be in that same space. Uh, it'll be challenging. There currently are power outages in Phnom Penh, so we have to ensure that we're we're working with that. It's a little unpredictable, but sometimes half the day might be lost to to power outages. We uh, we do a lot of uh, Google Hangouts video chats to, to know how everything's going. We have scheduled meetings every week. And when you're in Canada, it's 12 hour difference. Someone has to be up early and someone has to be up late at night. So it, there's a lot of challenges we face. But with modern technology, with the video chats and, and messaging, and uh, we use a lot of project management tools to uh, organize ourselves, even though we're in different places often. Uh, That's how you get around these things. And we have a very enthusiastic team. So when when we're focused and we're building, as you can tell by our our latest machine, we built it very quickly. When we show professional engineers what we did in such a short period of time, they're just amazed. And then you tell them how much we spent on it, and then they're shocked. But those are the challenges. But we definitely have have worked with those challenges and have excelled.
2: So do you guys have kind of a ballpark figure you give for the expense or the cost of this machine, if you're going to sell it to a government, or is that still... On.
1: Yeah, it's still being worked on in terms of what the value is for for the government or NGO that's working on it. But we have our base cost that, that we're working with. But there's a number of factors that play into that. We can't put a final number on it quite yet.
2: You've just launched a Kickstarter. You're in charge of fundraising. And fundraising has kind of seemed to be one of the most difficult parts of this project historically because it is kind of an NGO and you've got a very important product, but it's difficult to get it to market because of all the innovations that you have to do along the way. And because as you know, I mean, uh, funding right now in demining is difficult to get. It's not necessarily the uh, at the forefront of the global consciousness right now, even though it's still a significantly salient problem in places like Cambodia. Uh, so how is the Kickstarter going? What's the impetus behind the Kickstarter? And also kind of what's the sixth month, I guess, forecast and goals for the immediate future?
1: Yeah, so a big part of the Kickstarter is to both raise awareness and to raise funds as well. So we're reaching a, a larger audience than what we'd be able to if we were just fundraising locally. Uh, so the Kickstarter, we had an event last Thursday where uh, we, we kicked it off with a very diverse group of uh, backers and supporters. And the first day we raised 10% of our $50,000 goal. Wow. And so now we're four days in and we're now at 23%, I think I just checked. So we're, we're on our way. Uh, we still have a long way to go, but it's, it's definitely, it's raising the word that this is still a prevalent problem. We still, we have a solution that I think will help be a, a definite tool in the toolbox. Um, so for the next six months, our main objective is to get this machine working in the field in real world conditions. And so from that, we will hope to have enough of a runway in order to do a, a larger fundraise to get this machine past uh, just tests and then show the benefit and the the value of the machine so that we can get this machine into production.
0: In our last podcast, the Last Diffuser podcast with Richard Yim, he had mentioned that you were going to potentially look at tackling active conflict zones as the D-Mine Robotics scale its equipment. Is that something you're currently working on, or is it something expected more so for the long term?
1: Yeah, so we've had early discussions with local ground vehicle makers for, for military purposes. It's not something we're specifically working on this time, but it's part of the vision of our company is that we want to be able to remove explosives all throughout the world, and explosives are going to be in places like Afghanistan and Iraq where there's current conflicts happening. We see the future of unmanned ground vehicles becoming as prevalent as drones and unmanned aerial vehicles are in, in, in military purposes. So uh, we, like with that expansion, we hope to be part of that. We hope to be building a machine that's going to be part of the team that's going to re- be removing those concealed explosives. It's definitely part of our, our vision and our future. It's it's something where we're working on the technology right now, the base technology, to make that happen.
0: Okay, so you're kind of waiting to scale on that sense and master all the challenges that you currently may have in Cambodia before you go on to other countries as well.
1: Yeah. So once we're in the field test operations, we are finding many, many challenges that we never really would predict in building this type of machine. So we need to get our, our hands dirty, get our feet on the ground and understand all those challenges before we, we really start to scale. And it's definitely, a, it's a learning process, but I think we're, we're taking the right steps to, to make that happen.
0: So being such an innovator in the field and really changing the way that people and organizations um, view this area of work and study, have you experienced any pushback or resistance to the changes that d robotics is leading? Because it's very groundbreaking um, what you're doing. Do you see these types of innovative shifts as being significant or necessary in other areas as well?
1: Yeah. So when I was in Cambodia and I went to the the National Landmine Conference there, it was eye-opening to hear from some of the top people in these organizations who would talk about demining and how humans are the most efficient, or maybe not the most efficient, but the most affordably efficient way of of doing it. They are the most um, dexterous. They can work in any kind of conditions. It doesn't matter what it is. And so they don't always see the value of machinery i guess they've they've looked in the past they've seen the big machines that come in and do uh, mechanical excavation which is excellent in very flat no vegetation areas where the soil is very similar like you don't have any rocks or anything and so they've seen these machines work but only in very idyllic conditions which is not the case for the majority of of minefields and i think they have trouble seeing outside of the box like seeing where robots, where machines can actually help out. And I think what our machine is hopefully going to prove, and I think we have some people who are on board, but not everyone at this point, is that uh, new types of machines, like machines that can individually uh, remove landmines and use technology and use a cluster of different machines as well. that's, That's the future of robotics. And I think When they start seeing the examples, like if a startup team like us can actually produce something that is usable, if you put more money into these types of innovations, you get more engineers, more innovators in this type of area, I think they'll start seeing the benefit. And that's when hopefully the funding will come because currently it's a very tight funding situation where they have a mandate to clear so much minefield. And if they don't meet those targets, they're not getting another contract. So they have to use what's tried and true, and what's tried and true is manual D miners. To get our, our to be an innovator, it's definitely it's it's tough. Like you have to be out there, putting yourself out there, putting your, your mechanics out there, putting your engineers to a job that there's no defined goal. We're we're basically trying to to build something that is as usable as possible at this time, and hopefully they they see the benefit from that and can see the same vision that that we have. And that's why we, we try to focus on the organizations that want to champion this technology. So right now, Norwegian People's Aid, they came to us. They have a similar vision to what we have. They have uh, been innovators. They use demining dogs that use uh, this to their smell to sniff out explosives. That wasn't being done 10 years ago, mm. but they see this as it's making their mine clearance 20 times faster once they have these dogs trained and they have people that can uh, work with the dogs. And so they see us as being perhaps the next step for them to make their operations even more efficient.
2: Yeah, we actually had a previous podcast about the demining dogs uh, that are operated by the Norwegian People's Aid and the possibility of actually, uh, I guess, adopting them once they retire out of the program. So that's an interesting segue there. A question that I have on that note, this is kind of counterintuitive from a Western perspective, or at least from a Canadian perspective, but do you get any pushback from, uh, say, a heavily uh, human labor-intensive field like demining, where it's a very dangerous work, but it provides stable employment and a, a significant upgrade in quality of living for some deminers, uh, when they see the possibility of an excavation robot coming in and taking away at least some of the jobs in that field? I mean, I, I'm not sure about that, but is that, a qu- is that something that actually does come up in your conversations with, with the deminers on the ground?
1: Yeah, I know Richard definitely has spoken with a number of deminers and the response is overwhelmingly positive. They see this not as something that's taking away their job. They see this as something that's going to help them do their job. Um, they use mal detectors. No one's complaining that there's there's mal detectors. Um, it's, it's used by a human. The robot will be used, uh, ultimately operated by a human. Um, we see not a decrease in the number of miners coming from this. We actually see an increase. Because the deminers will then be utilized for doing detection, doing other jobs that are, are safer and that would actually make the job go faster. So we're primarily focusing on the most difficult task physically for the, the deminer themselves. And they, they see this as an advantage for them. Um, anytime you can put a tool into their hands, it's going to make their job easier, make it safer, make sure they come home at night it's something they see as a positive. So I I haven't heard of anyone complaining their their jobs won't be
0: um, available in the future. So being in the fields, I feel like, just a general question, have you seen any areas where there needs to be innovation in a different way as well. So when you're here and you're doing your research or looking into it, you see that there's a need for these robots in the field. However, when you get there and you see all these sorts of challenges, would you say that you've seen sort of a need for even more technological advancements?
1: Yeah, I think one area that requires advancement is from a management information systems perspective, just managing the overall process and demining in Cambodia. There's been a lot of concern that there's areas that have been covered or cleared, but it's not necessarily known by the overall mine authority. So there needs to be a, a better way of managing information in terms of what's been cleared, where the focus areas are and then also mapping those areas, the use of, of drones, the use of uh, mapping technology with satellites. That whole part of it has been an area that they, they recognize it's an area they need to improve to make the whole operation more efficient. So that that's definitely an area that technology, uh, the use of, of cell phone technology now that can be inputted in the field. The use of cell phones has proliferated. You can get up to 100 gigs of data for a couple of dollars. The tools are becoming more available, more widespread there. That's definitely a place that, that are easy wins to, to start using technology.
0: Thank you so much for coming and joining us um, on this interview, Doug. And we wish you the best on your Kickstarter, as well as uh, the project and all the wonderful, um, groundbreaking work that you are doing in Cambodia. Wish you all the best.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Tepsi. Thank you, Paul.
2: Say hi to Richard for us. Yes, Thanks, I will. <laughs>